Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 346. Chapter 49. The Ignorant Edema. I saw Elksadal raise a hand in greeting from across the courtyard. Quoth, he smiled warmly, the very fellow I was hoping to see. Could I borrow a moment of your time? Of course, I said. Well, I liked Master Dal. We hadn't had much contact together outside the lecture hall. Could I buy you a drink or a bite of lunch? I've been meaning to thank you more properly for speaking on my behalf at the trial, but I've been busy. As have I, Dal said. I've actually been meaning to talk to you for days, but time keeps getting away from me. He looked around. I wouldn't turn down a bit of lunch, but I should probably forego the drink. I have admissions to oversee in less than an hour. We stepped into the white heart. I'd barely even seen the inside of the place, as it was far too rich for the likes of me. Elksadal was recognizable in his dark master's robe, and the host fawned a bit as he led the two of us to a private table. Dal seemed perfectly at his ease as he took a seat but I was increasingly nervous. I couldn't imagine why the master sympathist would seek me out for conversation. "'What can I bring you?' asked the tall, thin man as soon as we were in our chairs. "'Drinks? A selection of cheeses? We have delightful lemon trout as well.' "'The trout and cheeses would do nicely,' Dal said. The host turned to me. "'And yourself?' I'll try the trout as well, I said. Wonderful, he said, rubbing his hands together in anticipation. And drink? Cider, I said. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. I'd like a cider. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a nice nice cider. I've been getting cheap Prosecco and mixing it with orange juice when I want a drink with a bit of nip, and that's really uh Oh, that's really like a mimosa, well. but cheaper. Exactly. Actually, does a mimosa have to be champagne? I don't know what the logistics are on that. Anyway, back to the page. I think it just has to be sparkling wine. Yeah. What is a heart? A heart is a deer. Oh, interesting. And the wolf, the ram, and the heart are the ageless cabal. That's right. The senior partners of Wolfram and Hart. What? That's right. They. Uh, I'm not, don't you know? Is it ever established what exactly they are besides like loosely affiliated with demons? They, they are some kind of like, they keep it deliberately ambiguous because it's scarier that way, but they are some kind of like horrible elder gods who exist in like a hell dimension somewhere. It, it's, I think the backstory is that they were like, they started out as kind of like your average demon and they basically bargained and schemed their way into interdimensional power as Wolfram and Hart. As lawyers with the power of, of lawyers on their side. Yeah. Okay. What is this from? In Angel, the, the TV series Angel, the, the series running Big Bad is uh, an evil law firm called Wolfram and Hart that like knows, and we find out over the course of the series that this law firm not only defends your average evil people like CEOs and politicians and, and so on, but they also like are fully aware that demons and vampires exist and are often in league with them. And to clarify, this is Buffy's angel. So those are, it's the same kind of, uh, kind of demon-y stuff that we're dealing with in Buffy. That's right. Uh, a heart is an archaic word for a stag specifically. Ah. So a male deer. 
Interesting. I've never seen a white heart. Well, I think they're quite rare. I think that's the point. I think that uh, this is meant to be a very luxe place. So it also has the name of a very rare, loosely mythological creature. I think it's meant to be good luck to see a white, a white stag. Even if it's not explicitly good luck, it's, you know, supposed to be auspicious or a a lot of the time uh, white deer in popular culture are spirit animals or ghosts, things like that. Or things that hunters are chasing after. Like in this book, isn't there a story about the like the fae chasing a white heart? I guess we'll have to wait and find out. Like he's already mentioned it if he's mentioned it at all. Oh, I don't recall. It doesn't ring a bell about this book, but that's the kind of thing that feels like a story or an ingredient from a lot of different stories. So maybe at any rate, it doesn't feel out of place here. Yeah, there's definitely like an Arthurian myth in which like someone is chasing a white heart. I have some questions regarding the luxness of this place, including, well, A, why does Quoth offer to spend money on Dal? And B, can he afford this? He has a bit of money, right? He does. He does. But I like I see where you're coming from, Jordana. This like Dal and Quoth have a real power imbalance in their relationship, right? Dal is an established master at the university. Presumably he's pulling down a salary. And presumably he's invented at least one thing at the artificery. I don't know. Maybe not. But my point is like, he's probably like got money. Money's like not an object to him. And he clearly comes here a lot. Quoth is broke and a student. And it does seem weird that Quoth is, is offering to foot the bill. But I think that a lot of the time, especially like if you're a grad student there, uh, like in, in the real world, there is a certain element of like you're expected to be able to socialize with your professors, cultivate relationships with them. And that requires you to like spend money on them. Like, I don't think that that's necessarily fair or right, but I think that is the way the game is played a lot of the time. Well, don't forget what's just happened. Cloth has just been put on trial and Elk Sadal went out of his way to write a letter about him and come to the trial and read it aloud in front of everybody. Dal did him a huge favor and possibly contributed to saving his life. So I don't think it's that out of line for Cloth to say, hey, let me buy you lunch. Like, thank you. You know, this is the least I can do. And I don't think you're wrong, Jeremy. I think there is, to some degree, the expectation to socialize with your professors in higher education. But I think this is more of a, hey, let me do you some small favor as a way of expressing my gratitude for your help. I see it as a favor thing, too. But, I mean, maybe this is just me. I always thought that this was, like, a regular thing. But it's I've never actually questioned it before. But I always... Like, it was my understanding that if you offered to buy someone lunch, you picked the joint. I think that's a good rule of thumb, but I don't think everybody follows it. Yeah, this does lead me to a couple things I wanted to point out on this page. One of them is the real world dilemma of when you and a friend who have an imbalance in your incomes go out to eat somewhere, you have to be mindful or, you know, you should be if you're polite, be mindful of the place. Like if I'm pulling in more money than, say, a Jordana character and we go to a fancy place and where all the th- the food is like 40 bucks a plate. That's a huge imposition on. Yeah, I would be mad at you even if I made like equal or more money than you. I would still be mad at you. if you. Yeah, to be fair, if somebody brought me somewhere that was a 48 bucks a plate <laughs> without like <laughs> impressing upon me ahead of time, this was a fancy place and that was like an occasion. I would also be miffed. The other thing I want to point out is that this place is a restaurant. This is a very rare thing in this world. We have 
taverns, you know, and they have whatever's on, on, you know, whatever's been in the pot, like they might serve that. And you can get a bit of chicken out of anchor, right? Like when Quoth is running his inn in the frame narrative, they get whatever he made, you know? But this place feels like it's a restaurant. They have specials. He gets seated somewhere. There's a maitre d' who comes and tells him and, and offers to bring him his food. Like this feels like a different structure of establishment than we've seen before. And this suggests to me that restaurants or places like this aren't totally absent from this world, but they're a higher level of class than Quoth has ever really been able to access before. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just a nicer inn. If, you, if your inn is nice enough, then instead of just having like a bowl of brown or whatever, then you have a menu and waiters. You know, if Quoth had ended up staying at the Golden Pony and making his living there, I think that he would be used to ordering from a menu. I mean, we don't know that they have a menu. This guy has just told them that like they have these things and they're good. That's true. It's not explicitly noted that there is a menu here. That's true. This could just be the same structure that Quoth has where they made some trout and they're going to bring him the trout. It's just fancier. <laughs> they have a selection of cheeses mm. but this is unusual jeremy you talked about socializing with with your professor which is definitely something that i have been exposed to in my higher education uh going out to dinner with a prof and a couple other students or being invited to a prof's place on a weekend to have a symposium or whatnot but this is unusual both gets nervous when they're seated together this isn't something that is part of the expectation of being a student here this is definitely out of the ordinary, and Quoth is not quite sure why he's been asked to uh, to sit down. Yeah, I, I kind of think... Sorry, Jordana, did you want to jump in there? Oh, I, no, I kind of think that there's two things happening here. Uh, a, he's not used to being in a fancy establishment like this, uh, and he knows that he's on the hook for the bill. And B, he doesn't know what Dahl wants. When I, whenever I have to have a conversation with anyone who has any kind of authority over me and I don't know what it's going to be about ahead of time, I get nervous because I think I'm in trouble. Hmm. I am familiar with this feeling, although I have not had it in a long time. Even when there's no reason to think that you might be in trouble. Yeah, totally. If my boss is like, hey, you know, do you have two minutes after this meeting to, to, to have a private call? I'm like, oh, crap. This is it, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm getting turfed. <laughs> Yeah, no, I completely agree. My my two managers, you know, called me up unexpectedly last week and I was terrified and then they gave me a raise. So there's like there's literally no reason to think that you might be about in trouble. That was a nice humble brag, Jeremy. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but Quoth also doesn't know Dal that well. Like he he's on good terms with Kelvin. And, you know, at least he, like, has a, a kind of relationship with Elodin. They're not exactly chummy, but they, like, know each other. And he has a relationship with Ham uh, of, like, mutual loathing. But he doesn't really have a relationship with Dahl, except that Dahl is his teacher. I would push back on that. They've they've hung out after class and had private when? conversations. Dahl went when? out of his way. When he does the talk about how the, the sympathist is the fire. That's A couple that. times they've hung out after class. That's after class. That's extracurricular. No. I'm not saying they're like pals and they go to shoot pool after hours, but they do have a relationship that is technically outside the boundaries of the parasocial relationship between teacher and student. I would argue that after class is still part of that parasocial relationship. But... Okay, you're right. It is. But what I'm getting at is that this to me doesn't feel like too out there a development. Like if Ham asked him to have lunch, that would be weird. But this seems very reasonable to me. Hmm. 
that would, that would be, be very sus. sus. Yeah, I <laughs> I would not if I were Quoth eat any food that him passed me. Indeed, I'd make yeah, I'd, I'd make him have it first. Uh, we have a, a nice long letter. If you want to move on, by all means. This is from Taylor, who writes terribly pleased. Howdy, Jordanic. When Kilvin was mentioned, even though he's working stocks, everyone knows he's terribly pleased with Quoth. I was reminded of the conversing a few pages back about the price setting of the catch. I also just went through the exit of Tarbine on through admissions in the audiobook. I believe Kilvin was completely taken with Quoth from first meeting. Kilvin obviously wanted more talk about the ever-burning lamp, as those admission questions and answers had, uh, had had him asking for follow-up even before admission was granted. Then, when Quoth asks for a negative tuition, Kilvin was slamming the table with an outburst about if some part of his students had half the pair Quoth has, he'd be teaching with a whip and chair rather than chalk and slate. Kilvin remains ever conscious of Quoth's financial situation. This makes his 25-talent purchase of the first catch even sweeter, and the easygoing castigating about money lending from the stocks makes more sense. You also read a letter during this episode where I posited a Lauren Ben Amir correlation. I came across something else interesting in the first interaction with Lauren in Name of the Wind. The way Lauren is described on first meeting is odd features, long and facial cues reminds me way too much of all the times Rothfuss intimates the way Bast looks and is perceived. Lauren is fey, subtextually almost certainly, and thus makes it easier for him to be real Amir. As, like Patrick Not Rothfuss pointed out on the live stream yesterday, Felurian let us know that the, all the Amir were fey. Uh, O.J. Simpson's If I Did It book reference makes that Gebea pun so good. Thanks for everything. I got to finish the weekend stockpile of episodes now. With love, signed Taylor. I love a good crackpot. And uh, I also love the suggestion that Lauren is fey and that might explain his weird countenance. His like overly somber, extra long visage. I'm into it. I'm not saying I'm 100% throwing my support behind it, but uh, I do like it. And it if he is like, you know, a fey uh, interloper, it would make sense that he is empowered to do the Amir's business more so than a human agent would be. Yes. I, I also, I am very much into this theory and in that I am interested in it. I just, I don't know to necessarily believe it. <laughs> yeah, that seems pretty out there if you ask me. But I, I also, I like your your reading of Kelvin as being more affirmatively like on Quoth's side than we've been led to believe. I don't know if that is my reading, but I think your reading has a lot of evidence to support it and uh, is valid. Jolly good. All right. Good letter. Quite. To the next episode of this show that we call... Page. Of... The... Win! Win!